So, folks, I know every week podcast I say we have a special guest, but this particular individual, I was like, man, shot in the dark. <laughs> Let me shoot out a DM on Twitter, see what happens. You know, I listen to him all the time, Lockdown Raptors podcast. You know, one of those people who, and this is a shift. I know a lot of folks who listen to this in this class are, are the younger side, and, you know, we kind of know the Raptors winning all the time and have that kind of fandom. But this guy, Sean Woodley, I mean, you come in there, you're optimistic. You know what I mean? You got <laughs> these, these peaks and valleys that we see with Raptors fans. So, folks, we have today Sean Woodley. Sean, please introduce yourself. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Christopher. It's uh, it's nice to be here. Uh, it's a very kind intro as well. I, I mean, I'm not sure who listens, how many people do listen to the podcast, but it's always uh, nice to come across a listener and happy to be here to, to chat with you. Yo, I listen to it, and I think it's fantastic. I mean, and I, I and let folks understand the type of listener I am. I watched the Detroit game, okay? Oh, yes. That's, that's how I am. <laughs> that's dedication, man. <laughs> hey, I'm a, pre, I'm a pre-2019 Raptors fan. I'm, I'm that guy who was there with the Bargnani days. I was there with Doug Christie days. Like, I was in that space, so I, I'm, I'm with the team, man. Yeah, you see where my optimism comes from, because I'm the same deal as you. Like, I've been watching since the early 2000s. And when you've seen Jermaine O'Neal play for your basketball <laughs> team, nothing can get you down after eight years of winning. It, it's pretty hard to feel like things are falling and the sky is uh, crashing into the earth when you, you, they lose a couple games with nobody available because of the plague. So, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's where I get my sunny disposition is in a weird roundabout way. All the very, very not sunny teams I used to watch in my youth. I'm not going to lie. I remember when they signed Jermaine and it was supposed to be the second coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they threw out David Robinson and Tim Duncan as a comparison <laughs> to O'Neal and Bosch. Yeah, that worked out super well. <laughs> Oh, but, all right. So I'm going to ask a question. As I yeah. you, so who is there, your pre, I'm going to say, who is your pre-2014 favorite Raptor? Ooh, I mean, Vince is the easy answer True. Just because yeah. there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of love tied up in that guy. He's the reason I liked the sport to begin with and became more of a basketball than a hockey guy. Um, in terms of like deep cuts, though. Joey Graham remains a guy who I'm convinced is going to figure it out next year. It's going to happen. <laughs> He's going to put it all together. He's going to be exactly what you want from your first round pick. Um, in terms of like actually good players, you know, I'm a big Jose Calderon guy. And Chris Bosch gets a lot of crap because, you know, he was on some not very good teams and left acrimoniously, but I love Chris Bosch a ton. And Anthony Parker might be yeah. an all time favorite for me. That dude, everyone gets mad at me when I say it, but he's better than Morris Peterson. I'm sorry. He was a better basketball player. Morris Peterson just played a lot more games and was around, which was nice for sure to have someone who liked being there. But yeah, Anthony Parker, that's my dude right there. Hey, I know some, I guarantee you students right now are Googling to like Anthony Parker. (laughs) Who's who's this guy? My favorite, this is entirely not why I'm here with you today, but my favorite Anthony Parker trivia is he is the holder or one of the members of the team that holds the Naismith Cup still. It was a game that used to be played between the Vancouver Grizzlies and Toronto Raptors. And the Grizzlies moved and it became a preseason game between the Raptors and some European team. And the final Naismith Cup that was played, Anthony Parker, playing for uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv, hit a game-winning three. And then the Raptors signed him right after that. (laughs) They never played another Naismith Cup. 
And Anthony Parker became an NBA player basically because he owned the Raptors in a preseason game. Very cool stuff. Uh, I guess your your students are getting some fun trivia with their with their lesson today as well. I know who I'm calling if there is ever Raptors trivia night. Uh, <laughs> I'll go, Sean. Uh, let's roll. <laughs> so this is fantastic. And I think the big thing and one of the big reasons why I really reached out to you because you're one of the few folks I've seen, you know, across Raptors media who really got into a critical space of what happened. Wow, it's going to be, oh, geez, we're looking at, what, five, six months now mm-hmm. with Redacted, Terrence Davis. Yes. And I know you've talked about it quite a bit on your own podcast and things died down, but we never really saw anything come out of that at all. Mm-hmm. So where are we and why is there this silence around TD2? Redacted. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of sort of factors at play with stories like this. You know, a colleague of mine who's a regular appearer on the podcast, Katie Heindel, has written about this as well and how there's a very short memory for, you know, instances of domestic violence in the NBA. And, you know, it's just such a fast moving league where, you know, transactions and, you know, oh, this, this guy's available, go trade for him. And it just the, the important stuff kind of gets forgot, forgotten a lot. I mean, we see this with like Chris Stapp's Porzingis, who was credibly accused of rape a couple of years ago, and now mm-hmm. is just playing for the Mavericks and no one talks about it. You know, DeMarcus Cousins, when he became available or the, the Rockets hinted at wanting to trade him a couple of weeks ago, you know, the whole question is, oh, DeMarcus Cousins, should the Raptors get him? They need a center. Should these teams get him? And it's like, well, I don't know. Are you considering the fact that he in the last two years was recorded on tape? threatening to put a bullet in his girlfriend's head like yes this kind of stuff just gets glossed over and it's such a common occurrence i suppose when you have you know a very big league with lots of players involved and this is across all leagues you know the nhl has these instances the the nba does the nfl does all of them there's just so many that they kind of get forgotten and sort of swept under the rug and then there's also this just sort of still clinging to the innocent until proven guilty thing, which yeah. look, I, I, I like the court system. Sure. It's nice that people get trials and, and get to, you know, have their day and, you know, the burden of proof and all that. But particularly when it comes to domestic violence cases, you can look at the numbers and, and it's just a lot of these cases are sort of held to that same standard of innocent until proven guilty when the numbers suggest that that just should not be yeah. the barrier that, that you're trying to cross to determine whether a guy did it or not. There's mm-hmm. you no know, family things involved. There's, uh, you know, the, the fear of retribution. There's just the fact that, like, what is it, 98% of instances of domestic violence or sexual assault go unreported. Yeah. And because of that, there's just this unfair burden put on the victim in these specific cases to prove that they did not have the thing done to them that was done to them in, in a lot of these cases. And so it, it's just you get into these conversations where it's almost impossible to even like broach the subject because people will just jump in with the innocent until proven guilty. But yeah. especially this year where we're really sort of looking and you know, thinking about our institutions and considering, you know, our lawmakers and realizing, hey, a lot of these people don't have our best interests in mind. You can't simultaneously be someone who's for change in our institutions and then also say, oh, but our courts are totally fine and, and there's yeah. no need to change the process here. And so I think just that's part of it. And then you get into the specific sort of climate of NBA coverage and sports mm-hmm. coverage where it's just uh, it's not a very adversarial 
situation. And it's not a problem until it is, right? Like most of the time you're covering basketball. Like when I'm covering the Raptors on my podcast, most of the time it's pretty light. It's pretty low key. It's not that serious. It's, hey, Kyle Lowry, look at his butt. It's awesome. (laughs) You know, you're having a good time with it. But I kind of think the way the league is covered has kind of passed the point where adversarial coverage even really has much of a home, particularly when it comes to the people who have access, right? Because Mm -hmm. access is everything. It's, okay, you have to be first with the scoop. You have to be the one to leak the email that's coming from the NBA three minutes before the email comes, because that's apparently important. You have, you know, for example, Shams Terania, who is one of the leading insiders. It's like him and Woj as the, the main news providers in the NBA. This is a guy who will routinely write fluff pieces about players who have had domestic violence very recently in their past, you know, Derek Rose, Kendrick yes. Nunn, like he, he's just got no shame. And it's very clearly just a means to get access. And because the teams and the leagues are also precious about image and not being covered adversarially, and because they know access is so precious, you know, the, because reporters know access is so precious, you just don't really get a lot in the way of adversarial, meaningful journalism done about the NBA. And it's a lot of, all right, well, let's pass along what this agent is saying about this player and let's write this fluff piece on this player who's playing well. And that stuff's great. I could read a Zach Lowe piece on Manu Ginobili all day long. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's excellent writing, It's it, but it's not necessarily hard, hard-hitting journalism. It's, you know, you have this guy, you're probably in conversations with the team and sort of trying to sell them on why they, they should let you talk to this guy. And then you're turning it into a piece that more or less is positive PR that will also get you some clicks and some ad revenue and all that stuff, right? So when it comes to Terrence Davis, there are so few people who, A, have access to the team to ask those hard-hitting questions, and B, the people who do have access are always at a constant fear of losing that access because the teams are so guarded that you just don't get proper adversarial coverage. And look, I am credentialed to cover the Raptors Let's put it this way. I'm a bad reporter. <laughs> like I, <laughs> when I go to games, I, I kind of find the sort of rigmarole of, you know, pregame, postgame interviews and stuff like that. It's kind of useless to me. And you can find that stuff in those quotes online and sort of use it to, you know, make your own stories. It, it, it's all kind of an act to me in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. And I also don't have the access to ask those hard hitting questions is the thing. Like I can't get a one on one with Masai Ujiri to ask why the situation with Terrence Davis has not been addressed by the team, but you know, for the people who do have access, they're also at risk of losing that access if they do ask those hard questions. And so I think you just kind of have a cycle of coverage where the really difficult, hard questions, the odd time that they do come up are not being asked in a, in a, in in the right way. And the onus really should fall on the real standard bearers of NBA media, you know, the Woges, the, the, you know, whoever it might be, Sean's, in the case of the Raptors, you know, Michael Grange, Bruce Arthur, the sort of mm-hmm. journalists who have the the deep connections and credit to Michael Grange. He did do a story with Adam Silver recently yep. about Silver's uh, very, very misguided thoughts and opinions on Masai Ujiri and the lawsuit that was hanging over him with the mm-hmm. cop in Alameda County after the, the Raptors won the title. Like that was a good example of, okay, this guy's reaching out to the person who needs to be grilled on this thing. And that's good journalism. But we haven't seen it. And the other thing, too, to sort of compound all of this is the Raptors have violated the CBA all season long by not yes. making Terrence Davis available one time to the Thank media. Thank you. It's literally against the CBA. Thank you. But again, you have the issue where reporters could make a stink, but they don't want to have their access impeded because, you know, their money and their jobs 
rely on that access. And so they are at a point where they can't really ask that question without risking their own livelihood. So it just, it becomes kind of a cycle where the hard questions never, ever get asked for all of these different reasons. And this is where, and first of all, I'm, I really hope folks are paying attention to about access. And, and mm -hmm. in this course, we really talk about access and power and you're, you're fearing to lose that access and that power. And you really mentioned something really important there about, you know, Raptors, we're going to follow the CBA, but they're violating the CBA and who gets an opportunity to speak in these spaces and so few folks have it. And I don't want you to to lose the access that you do have. So I'm going to <laughs> pull in some questions in here. But the, this is where, for me, you know, I, I take this from, you know, as a sport fan, as a Raptors fan. And like I was saying, you know, I watched that Detroit game. I watched those games. I'm, I'm there. You know, I, I was one of those people in the Sprite zone, in the mm -hmm. Sky Dome, you know what I mean, watching Raptors games. <laughs> Uh, I tell students I'm somewhere between 25 and 65 to figure out how old I am. I was there, but this season hit me irregular. And I know that's not an mm -hmm. academic term, but it hit me irregular. So, sure. yeah, cool. Started to a two and eight start, but I couldn't and I still can't honestly engage with this team on a authentic level. And you really hit it there about how Michael Grange, how, and I'll say it, TSN, Sportsnet, really engage in understanding what happened to Maasai and really on BLM. But then there's a silence around Terrence Davis. Mm -hmm. How can we really engage on a societal level with a team that seemingly on one angle is all about Black Lives Matter? I'm going to put this in quotation marks. So capital B, capital L, capital M. Mm -hmm. But then when we see something that's happening about know gender-based violence literally silence mm -hmm. how do we reconcile that as sports fans as people who consume sports how do we reconcile that i think I, it's kind of everybody's own decision to make right like i'm not in the business of telling people how they should be consuming this raptors season and i've had people who say i love the podcast man but i just can't engage with this team until terrence davis is off the roster and i totally respect that and appreciate it and you know for me the way I've kind of reconciled it is there's a lot of compartmentalization going on, obviously, like even within the construct of the league, like I have a lot of problems with the way, with the, way the league is operating this season. The fact that they're doing the all-star game, the fact that they kind of seem to bend the COVID protocols to make it so they can play as many games as possible. And, you know, it leads to problems down the line as we're seeing with the Raptors right now. And so, like, I've kind of shut off my rest of the NBA brain in a lot of ways. I'm watching fewer games. I'm caring less about the national games. Haven't bought League Pass this year, and I've done that, like, five, six years in a row now. And with the Raptors, you know, it's certainly difficult. I find myself, like, actively dejected anytime I see Terrence Davis, you know, do something good on the floor because it instantly kind of... And I'm not even sure that the broadcasters are doing this consciously, but it instantly sort of builds that sort of redemption arc for a guy who hasn't deserved it yet. And look, I'm not against second chances. I think, you know, people screw up. And if they show that they're making the steps to make amends, then sure, they can be rehabilitated and get that shot again. But with a guy like Terrence Davis, first of all, the details of the case that came down a couple weeks ago, it sounds as though there, there very much was something that took place that day in New York. He was asked to pay restitution. He has to go a year without, quote unquote, getting into trouble in order to have his charges clearly dropped. It's just it's 
it all points to, okay, yeah, sure, the charges were quote-unquote dismissed, but there's very clearly something that happened there. It's similar to, you know, James Johnson, for example, who is, I guess, sort of exhibit number one as to, or exhibit A, however you wanted to define it, as to the Raptors kind of being a little bit two-faced when it comes to their zero-tolerance policy. I mean, James Johnson had a very credible domestic violence allegation against him between his two stints with the team, and... That was just kind of ignored when he was signed. It wasn't really talked about. And it would be different if the teams, if the broadcasts were talking about it and actually critically looking at it. But again, for all these reasons, this is state-run media, basically, the the broadcasts. You're not going to get that. And so for me, watching these games, it has certainly been a challenge. And, you know, the game a couple weeks ago where Terrence Davis came in in the fourth quarter and, you know, almost single-handedly helped the Raptors beat the Wolves— that was a tough one to take because it's like this guy and it was the same day as the case as well. And then it's like, OK, people are going to go with, the, oh, he's gone through all so much distraction and adversity. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're totally undercutting the victim here. You're totally just, you know, ignoring her story. And for me, the way I've reconciled is and maybe this is a half-assed way to do it. Maybe this is just a way to make myself sleep at night. But. I'm donating money for every game he plays for the Raptors this year to a, a women's shelter in Toronto as just sort of a a way that I can say, okay, yes, I'm enjoying this product and watching the game, but I also have a problem with a specific player being on the team and the way it's gone un, unaddressed. And until that is addressed or he's no longer on the team, this is just the way I can sort of ease my own conscience. But I also am probably part of the problem continuing to watch and I have to for work and all that stuff. And so it's sort of this deal that I've made with myself, but I don't begrudge anyone, particularly women who are fans of the team, who feel just kind of betrayed by the franchise entirely, honestly. I know a few women who have just said, I can't do it this year. I can't do it at all. It's just, it's a complete affront to what I believe and what I think and the experience of victims. And I totally sympathize and understand why that is the way some people are approaching it. So to answer your question, that was a very, very long and roundabout answer, but it's up to everybody to sort of t- tell themselves how they're going to reconcile it, but I don't think there's any one right answer. So should then the Raptors be seen as, I'm using quotation marks here, social justice leaders? Because that was the rhetoric around, and I, and I got to say, the performative actions of Black Lives Matter on the bus. And I'm speaking mm-hmm. from a space, and as my students know, as a space as a you know cishet cisgender heterosexual able-bodied black male and i see through you know <laughs> what the raptors are doing with black lives matter particularly and i had these conversations over the summer i was like look if mlsc was serious and again like i i don't i'm not paid by mlsc so i can say what i want <laughs> i'm a prop here. Like, <laughs> if mlsc was serious about you know making change how can we never saw the black lives matter conversation rooted in Toronto and rooted in Canada. How come we didn't see mm-hmm. Austin Matthews standing next to, you know, Kyle Lowry denouncing what's happening in Toronto? Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I take a different perspective on it, like yourself too. You know, you got compartmentalized. I mean, I watched the Super Bowl. I, I know what happened with Tyreek Hill. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we know what Derrick Rose and myself too. I'm like, man, Derrick Rose, I kind of want you to pull back up. But I also know you went to court and looked at a judge and said, I don't really know what consent is. Yeah. So, you know, we consume these sports and it's this this shift in our brain. And for us, can we then really look to the Raptors, which has has happened in Toronto and I'll say Canada widely, particularly over, you know, summer 2020, that the Raptors are the social justice leader. Should we do that? Can we do that? 
Yeah, I think it's dangerous to sort of ascribe any sort of, you know, positive leanings or, or social justice activism to like an enormous corporation, right? Like, uh, it, it, it's, I think, far more easy to look at the, the person to person level and say, oh, Fred Van Vliet, I think that guy actually believes the right things and is doing and saying the right things. And is actually backing up his words. Kyle Lowry, the same, you know, I think on a player to player level, and that's, again, sort of how I have been watching the team this season and able to enjoy it is all these individual guys didn't do anything wrong. Sure, they could be speaking out and that would be nice, but for the most part, like they're just dudes who are playing basketball and doing it well. And when it comes to sort of, it's like a cor- corporate philanthropy thing, right? We saw this a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I was a victim of it with with Bell Media. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, geez. got laid off sorry, at Bell Media. By the way, sorry hey, about that. Hey, Honestly, that's, hey, it's fine, sorry yeah. about that. Seriously. <laughs> it's okay. Seriously. But like that's an example, right? Where it's Bell has this whole thing where it's like Bell, let's talk day, let's end the stigma. And sure, there's probably been some good done by it, but for the most part, it's advertising for themselves to uh, get a tax break on an enormous donation and make themselves feel good. But they actually don't do the work to follow up anything that they, pr- pr- you know, profess, right? And like within two weeks of Bell's talk day, they have 400 fewer employees and three fewer radio stations and <sighs> all of that. And so. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same idea. MLSE was actually backing it up and putting the money in and, you know, investing, you know, 10 million bucks a year into, um, you know, underserved communities in Toronto or whatever it might be. Then, sure, maybe you could say that they're actually sort of walking the walk after talking the talk. But I think there's always going to be a limit to how much a giant corporation leans into social justice just because they have the other side, the people who are on the wrong side of history, frankly, who are going to threaten to stop watching or withhold their money. And then of course you get, um, you know, half measures. And so that's, I think the, the difficult thing is I think people within the Raptors mean, well, I think Masai Ujiri has the right idea and believes the right things. I think the, the players themselves believe the right things, but when you put it under the construct of a corporation, it becomes difficult. And I think, you know, this is not a good thing necessarily, but it's mm-hmm. sort of a silver lining to this year where I think the facade of the NBA is the good league that gets it. I think right. that's kind of gone away. Yeah. And I think that's a yeah. good thing because you shouldn't really worship like corporations and enormous billion dollar companies. You really shouldn't expect much mm-hmm. out of them in terms of being progressive because ultimately they will defy all of their progressive moves if money's on the line, as we're seeing with the NBA this year, yeah. you know, they were number one. Oh, we're going to be super safe. We're going to have the bubble. It's going to be great. But then this season, it's just a complete <laughs> tire fire because okay. they don't care anymore. And the bubble was too much money and too difficult to execute. And the players yeah. are involved in this, too. The players collectively bargain at all, and they deserve yeah. some blame as well. But, yeah, it's I think expecting a corporation to believe and say the right things and actually follow it up with action is probably kind of fraught ground and that's unfortunate it sucks and more companies should be a little bit more eager to you know make the right people mad but they aren't because money drives everything and and that's like again kind of all tied into the reporting conversation as well you know Woj makes money because he is ESPN's news guy and Mm -hmm. he can't sacrifice that access by calling the league out on its uh, stuff that might stink and what killed me there is, you know, the NBA was seen as the good league. And that always yeah. killed me. I was like, after this season, I was like, the NFL came out and said, <laughs> we don't care. And the NFL actually did not care. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you don't have a quarterback? Who cares? Yeah. Play. Yeah. And and you're right. It's like, it's it's on us as consumers of sport. And I, you know, I say consumers because 
you know, like you said, it's a business. Yep. We we consume the sport and it's on us to make those decisions and not look to these spaces as idols. And for me, I keep on thinking about, you know, the access to asking questions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I put on my my academic or activist, I don't like to use that term, hat. But throughout this summer and particularly the end of Black History Month, I kept on thinking if I was a reporter, I would really love someone or for me to ask or get someone to ask a question that was really rooted in what's happening to these players. And mm-hmm. I bring this up because there's a study that came out a few years ago and it's backed up and it's always backed up, basically saying that, or the results were saying that the children of black millionaires mm-hmm. are more likely to end up incarcerated than poor white children. Hmm. And I was like, I would love for someone, Sean, um, <laughs> to have that access. And really, when I say, you know, I love Michael Grange or mm-hmm. Bruce Arthur, to, to sit down or Doug Smith, to sit down and be like, hey, you know what? Cool. We're talking about Maasai, but Kyle, mm-hmm. Fred, y'all got kids, y'all got, you know, young families. How do you feel about that? So, I mean, Sean, if, if, you have that space. Mm-hmm. Should we be asking those questions? Not just what kind of name you're going to put on the back of your jersey or, you know, Black Lives Matter on a court. Like, how come we aren't asking, and I'm saying specifically, not just the NBA, but in Toronto, how come we're not asking these true questions? Not to, you know, violate or lose access, but mm-hmm. really questions that get to the heart of who these people are. And I think someone like Kyle will answer. Fred yeah. will answer. That's, a, I think, a really interesting question. And I think, you know, look, like, think of the people you just named off. Michael Grange, Bruce Arthur, Doug Smith, me. Like, you know, I love all those guys. They're all, they've all been wonderful to me. But there's a, a similarity in the way a lot of the people who cover the team look, right? And I'm obviously part of it. And I try to recognize that and do what I can to help even the playing field in, in any opportunity I can. But it is an inherent problem with the way the league or with the way coverage is set up. And this, I mean, this is so wide ranging this, I mean, I was a journalism school student. I think there were two black students in my hundred person class. Like it's just the access to, you know, this was a conversation this week with unpaid internships and stuff too, right? Like unpaid internships inherently filter out people who can't afford to do unpaid work. And because of all of the systemic issues in our societies, Oftentimes those people are people of color and it sort of limits the the access they have to the media game. Right. And, and I, I you see it every day. It, it, you have people who are just maybe not equipped to ask these types of questions. And maybe that's a problem that they should, they should just equip, equip themselves and do the reading and learn and, and be part of it. But I also think there is sort of a, a, a thing where. You know, Kyle Lowry is probably more likely to listen and, and have that type of conversation with a black reporter it, it just because of the, the sort of understanding. And there's just not enough people of color in the coverage. There's not enough women in coverage to sort of analyze those. You know, if, if a woman in Raptors media really wanted to bring up the Terrence Davis question, you know, they might have their own specific sort of. Uh, view on it because they are a woman and that because they see it more from the victim side of things and that would be actually very insightful but again it's just it, it's too many white dudes like myself frankly um, and it just it leads to just holes in coverage and holes in the way that these players are talked about and it leads to a lot of 
you know, this is a, again, all these things are interconnected. It's, it's kind of wild, but it leads to like the analytics conversation and who gets in and, you know, are, what's the access to, to proper analytics and, you know, why is the, why are those conversations often had by white people? And it's all part of the problem. And it's just, it's so daunting to think about how broken everything is, frankly, especially when it comes to sports coverage, but those types of important conversations you're talking about, Christopher, like they would be a lot easier to have if the media landscape wasn't so monochromatic and it's, it's certainly a problem. And I I don't know how to address it on my own. I try to do my own little things here and there, you know, donate to the CAPJ and, and, you know, do what I can there. But for the most part, it's, it's on people in power. It's on getting people in who are, from different backgrounds than the dude from Burlington, who's now the boss of SportsCenter or whatever it might be. Like, you need to have people of color in powerful positions so they can change how things are done as well. It's it's all very interconnected, and it's all extremely difficult to undo because of all the sort of built-up inertia in the industry. And this is where I kind of rack my brain around the, the cognitive dissonance that I have around the Raptors, taking away Terrence Davis, mm-hmm. taking away Redacted, the cognitive dissonance, because I, on one end, we're like, okay, we're championing, and the the, the chorus is really loud to keep Masai. I have a lot of theories on Masai. We could touch on that if you have time. A lot of theories on <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, keep Masai, keep Masai, keep Masai. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, what he's doing as a, a black president uh, for an NBA franchise. And I also see, you know, particularly this year, we're seeing Kia Nurse, you know, on TSN broadcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seeing Alvin Williams. He's been around, you know, Sportsnet. So I'm, I'm seeing that. But on the flip side, I'm like, okay, cool. I watch other broadcasts and other teams, and you're seeing, you know, all female broadcasts. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're seeing Candace Parker, like, sparring with Shaq. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we're, we're, we're seeing these things. And I'm like, what is the gap in Toronto? And mm-hmm. this is where I, I struggle because, you know, Toronto is one of the most quote unquote diverse, so representative cities in the world. So we have 25 years of players mm-hmm. that we can mm-hmm. tap into. You know, we, we tried with Morris Peterson. Yeah, he was a little, uh, he's a little off in terms of his <laughs> broadcasting, but he could work on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sam Mitchell's fantastic. I know he's based in in Atlanta. Cool. Where? I hear you on the space of, yes, the top needs to shift. And arguably, if you're looking at the top in the, in the Raptors, Messiah's at the top. Mm-hmm. And what we we know that he's been making those shifts when it comes to you know, the representation of those who identify as women, you know, in the Raptors organization. Fantastic. Giving those opportunities. But where where's this gap? Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I struggle because I'm like, OK, we have 25 years. No disrespect to Leo. No disrespect to Leo. But. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, look, I think it's working at, at changing, right? I think um, the Raptors hired in the offseason John Wiggins, who was formerly in charge of Raptors 905. He's now, I believe, I, I don't want to get the title wrong, but I believe it's vice president of diversity uh, within the Raptors. I might have gotten the title wrong, but it's similar. He's This is his job is to level the playing field and to you know, find new talent and, and cultivate it. And I think we're seeing it. You know, Raptors 905 games are called right now by Akil Augustine. Javon Shepard, who I've worked with uh, doing games for the Canadian Elite Basketball League, who's amazing and is incredibly talented and is going to be on the Raptors broadcast one day. I am sure of it. And Amy Otterbird as well. You know, they, they are cultivating. And it's, you know, it's a long time to... Amy's awesome. And Javon's awesome. And Akil's great. And all of these people deserve to be on NBA games. And, you know, inertia is powerful. 
and look, I'm a person who loves Jack Armstrong. I he's one of my favorite people in the entire industry, and he's been incredibly kind and nice to me and a lot of people, young people in the business. He's outstanding. But what's wrong with a third voice on those broadcasts, right? Like they do it with Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson playing Stadler and Waldorf. Like you can get a third person in there who's not just a sideline reporter, right? And I think that's that's certainly something that can be done. And like. There's only so much Masai, for example, can do from his perch as the head of a team about the media landscape and the things that are wrong there. I mean, they're cultivating internal talent to, to potentially be on their own broadcast one day, which is great and a good start. But in terms of the way the media is sort of constructed right now, it, it's that's a far bigger problem when it comes to access to education, access, like I said, the unpaid internship problem and the people that filters out. I mean, I did an unpaid internship because I could afford to when I came out of school and I could do two days a week of no paid work at TSN radio in Toronto. And guess what? Every other intern was a white guy at, at 22 years old who lived at home and could afford to do it. And you just sort of, you, you channel it all and you just get these, like, again, it's just like a, like a tunnel that you can't get out of where it's, it starts at the very beginning and there's no entry point in the middle or anything like that for people who don't have that privilege and that that i think you know the cabj is doing some work to to address that you know scholarships that they offer and things like that um but you know these companies need to just move away from unpaid internships get as much talent it's 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 so it seems counterproductive to companies that are trying to make as much money as possible that they would just sort of shut out an entire section of people that just can't do the thing that they're asking to be done You'd think that you'd want to pay interns and find the absolute best and cultivate it, but and cultivate them throughout their careers and have them promote internally and, and go for, go from there. But it's just because of the sort of chopping off of half or more of the pool that they could be pulling from, and in particular, uh, you know, the people of color who are could be involved because of everything we're talking about. It, it, they're just totally cutting themselves off at the head, basically, and, and giving themselves a much lower chance of having the best product they could be putting out there. It's all very counterintuitive, but again, money talks and the unpaid internship thing is just an easy way to get people to post podcasts for you at your, at your radio station. <laughs> it's really easy to not pay someone to do that job. And it's, it's broken. It really, really is. And I think that's where that, that gap you're talking about is most notable. And, you know, unfortunately the furthest away from being, addressed because it does not seem like these companies are going to be as they're laying off employees and canceling their radio broadcasts of blue jays games we're talking about two companies in particular here um but like they are all acting as though they're cash poor so i can't imagine they're going to end the practice of getting free labor anytime soon <laughs> yeah I've I've done it before, man. I did uh for the CEBL. There were a few games last year in the bubble where they were both on TV and radio. And the broadcast is worse because you're trying to appeal to two very very different audiences' sets of needs. But that's besides the point. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so John Wiggins, he's the uh, VP of Organizational Culture and Inclusion. That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Sean, I really I really appreciate that, and I really hope um you know students are paying attention because. A lot of times we think these issues are black and white, um, you know, when it comes down to race and racism or gender or I'll say diversity, quote unquote, equity, diversity, inclusion broadly. Mm -hmm. But I really appreciate how you mentioned 
the internships and there's a structure and you know the money and you know organizational decisions and how those impact impact indirectly to the lack of representation in particular spaces. So I appreciate that. I'm being mindful of time because I still want to talk basketball with you. You know. <laughs> so where do the Raptors go? We got what? What is it? The what? March 20 well, March 25th is the deadline. Today's yeah. March 5th. You have about 20 days. I the beginning of the season, so a full disclosure, full disclosure. I was one of those. I don't say tank. I don't believe in tanking in professional sports. I think it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not about that. But I was like, you know, I have this fear that the Raptors are going to fall back to the, and i big fan of DeMar. I know Drake's a big fan of DeMar too. Drop that hotline. Hmm. I'm this fear that we're going to go back into this cycle of make the playoffs, get swept by the Wizards. Right. Where do the Raptors go in 20 days? So these are going to be like the longest 20 days of all time. Uh, <laughs> dreading it. Uh, I'm firmly like you. I think tanking is uh, bad. And I, I think, you know, for every success story in tanking, there's an Orlando Magic or two to yep. say, oh, that's where that can go very, very wrong. Um, and so, like, I'm fully on the board of keep Kyle Lowry, don't trade him, trading him away from a team that is good. The record has, you know, obviously had its issues, but, I mean, the last two losses took place with missing their three best defensive yep. players and yep. their second through fourth best players <laughs> on the team. Yep. It's going to happen. Um, on a back-to-back, no less. They have good sort of peripheral numbers. They look like a very good team. I'm fully in the camp of go be buyers and give mm-hmm. Kyle Lowry. If this is his last season in Toronto, give him one last earnest run with the Raptors. And I'm not so concerned as you about the whole, you know, get to the playoffs and lose in the first or second round thing, because I right. think that's basically what the blueprint was that led to the title for the Raptors. True. It's true. be true. good, true. True. stay relevant, be in the playoffs, have players on your team that you can, you know, pivot away from in at a moment's notice for a star. And then you're back right in the title contender tier, right? And, and so even if they go into next season, Kyle's gone, they bring back Norm, let's say, and they have uh, Pascal, Norm, Fred, OG, Core, maybe that team's not good enough to be a legit contender, but it's certainly good enough to be a middle-of-the-road playoff team. Sure. And then the next time a free agent or, or a potential star becomes disgruntled, <laughs> you have... Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi as guys you can start those trade conversations with and maybe get something done and get right back where you want to be. And I just, being relevant and kind of always having a shot is far better to me than hoping the lottery balls fall your way. Even in the year like this where the draft is supposed to be good, you know, you never know. Circumstances, you know, guys don't always look to their potential or you get a guy and you don't get a second guy and you end up losing that guy four years later, eight years later, whatever it might be. Um, so I think, you know, run it back for the rest of time is basically how I <laughs> roll with the Raptors. I, I think this season in particular, trading Kyle Lowry for like Tyrese Maxey and some stuff <laughs> doesn't really do it for me when he's an all-timer. And I would much rather see him play his next game in Toronto in a Raptors jersey. You know, it, it, it's it's very, it's tricky, obviously. You know, I'm not saying I'm right or anything like that, but I'm right. Uh, <laughs> keep Kyle Lowry. Uh, don't don't oh, try to play. Don't fear the middle, because the middle can lead to the top if you have good management, which the Raptors do. Yeah. It's funny you say that, because it's like, when we talk about trading him for a bag of stuff, I'll never, <laughs> and so, so most of these students weren't even alive when Vince was Vince. <laughs> and man, that trade... Oh, and you're like, oh, the Williams. Okay, Alonzo Mourning. Alonzo Mourning never came to Canada. Never showed up. 
So when you say bag of stuff, you're right. Keep on to what you have with the potential of keep on going and, and running it back as, as far as you can. But the million dollar question is, if we're going to be buyers, right? Mm-hmm. We keep Lowry. Who are we selling? I mean, picks. <laughs> like, they don't have to be huge buyers either, right? Like, the East is weird and bad. And I think the Nets are very clearly the best team. I think the Bucks and Sixers have their flaws that can be exploited, particularly if the Sixers don't get Kyle Lowry. Like, they're, they're going to have some issues. And you obviously can have a direct hand in them not getting Kyle Lowry if you're the Raptors. Um, you know, I don't think they're scared of any of those teams outside of Brooklyn. And, you know, they can be, you know, as is, as currently constructed, leaning into their small ball stylings. Like, they can very much be uh, a team that can sneak into a conference finals, I think. You know, it'll require matchups. It'll require some luck. But everything does in the playoffs. And, you know, the the addition doesn't have to be enormous. It can be an extra big man for depth behind Aaron Baines or in front of Aaron Baines. Uh, It could be... um, a guy that I'm like losing my mind over thinking about on the Raptors is Thaddeus Young with the Bulls, who's basically playing point center this year and is like thinking of him next to like Siakam and OG in the front court is very exciting to me. So, you know, that there's those little like sort of marginal upgrades. You're not going to get a star like Bradley Beal's not going anywhere right now. He doesn't want to go anywhere and they're playing well. So marginal upgrades, I think puts you in the tier where you can probably win a first round series, or if you do, you lose it nobly to a very good team Maybe you can squeak through a second round. Um, you know, the, it's it's a very strange conference with a lot of good teams that maybe have some fraud elements to them, the Raptors included. And I think being in that mix is a perfectly acceptable place to be. And I, honestly, I'm thinking, like, if they finish with a sixth seed, get the Bucks or the Sixers in round one, they could, like, those are probably better matchups for them than, like, Miami or Boston in a 4-5. So let Miami and Boston beat the hell out of each other. Beat the uh, the the Bucks in round one. Get the or get the Sixers in round two, and maybe you win that one, and then you're home free to the conference finals. Like it, the nice thing too is if they lose in the first round, you can just go swaddle yourself in your championship gear because that's still pretty fresh <laughs> and it's it's not worn out. There hasn't been eaten by moths just yet. There's still that grace period I think that the Raptors very much in, and um, I'm of the mind that not everything is about titles all the time. Having a fun, cool team is a very exciting thing to have, and any team with Kyle Lowry is fun and cool. You know, all the other stuff we talked about at the top, notwithstanding. Uh, and sort of da- putting a damper on it all, you know, the, the the guys who are here for a long time are excellent, and they're a blast to watch. And when they play like themselves, they can beat anybody on any, any on any given night. So that's kind of my outlook for the rest of the season here. Yeah. And I, I feel you on that. I mean, the, the one team that I definitely because everybody's like, yeah, Brooklyn. But I'm like, yo, I don't think folks realize when you have a a superstar, let alone three superstars in the playoffs, it's a game changer. Like yeah. it's it's a full stop game changer. So Brooklyn's a different different ball game. And you're right, you know, an entertaining team. And I think for me, you know, as we wrap up, the thing that I miss, and I know COVID, I, I get the pandemic, the protocols, it's the fun. You know what? I miss yeah. I miss Ibaka. I'm not gonna lie, man. Like I just miss oh, Ibaka. So much. Yeah, just <laughs> engaging. Yeah, just engaging, you know, having that cool dope comment. Let's talk about scarves, you know what I'm like. Yeah. The Clippers and I, and, like yeah. each other now because they have surge. I fully believe it. Yeah. Like <laughs> You can't underestimate the and the entertain like let's let's be real when Amir Johnson was in Toronto Toronto was uh, all right mm-hmm. but you had someone who's in the community you know what uh, out there with folks like I liked it you know what mm-hmm. I mean mm-hmm. because you're right only one team wins every year yeah 
that's it. So, Sean, really, really appreciate this. Where can folks get a hold of you? Because, man, I mean, like I said, very few folks have the, you know, the wherewithal to come on and really, I don't want to say challenge, but just, you know, critically analyze the sport that they love and, and really engage with, you know, a team that you cover every single day um, and really say, hey, you know what, there, there's room for them to fix. And you do it in a way that's not adversarial. It's not controversial. You're stating facts. Right. And you're mm-hmm. like, hey, why well, I'm, I'm saying this because I want to make it better. And I, I really want, you know, particularly students in this course, especially after our week on hockey, is like, look, when we have these conversations, it's not to say we want to pull down hockey, pull down the NHL, pull down the OHL. It's really about we want to make it better. Yeah. And I really like your position. And then like for folks who don't follow your podcast, like this is how you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If people <laughs> follow you on Twitter, like this is how you are. So I really, really appreciate that, Sean. So yeah, how, pe- how can people get a hold of you? How can we support you? What can we do? Yeah, well, first, I appreciate the kind words, and I'm happy to be here to help out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean, uh, just last name, first name. I'm still working on getting Sean Woodley from some guy in Australia. Uh, <laughs> he's got a protected account. Won't let me DM him. It's fine. Uh, I'm not mad about it at all. But uh, <laughs> at Woodley Sean on Twitter. And yeah, you can listen to Lockdown Raptors Monday through Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. I also do another podcast with, uh, I mentioned Katie Heindel, a colleague of mine. We do a weekly general interest sort of silly basketball podcast uh, where we will talk about serious stuff basically every week, but also work in some some good times and mascot talk. Uh, it's called uh, Basketball with a question mark. Uh, <laughs> and you can find that on all your favorite podcast providers as well. Hey, much appreciated. Enjoy your break, at least until Sunday, I guess, you know. Or <laughs> whatever we're calling this. I will not be watching that uh, petri dish game. Not. Oh my gosh. Man. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I know we gotta run, but like, dude, when first they're like, oh, we no all star game, cool. And then, oh, we're gonna have an all star. Oh, we're gonna have skills. I'm like, are you what? Huh? Yeah. Did I miss something? <laughs> and now we're going to invite Robert Covington to oh just to gosh. bring more people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Well, that's a whole other podcast, man. <laughs> yeah, but man, appreciate it. Sean, you're dope. You're great. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate this. Thank you. Anytime. All right.